For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Annie Cushing, and we're going to explore what's new with Google Analytics. We've got a bunch of cool tips for social media analysis using Google Analytics. By the way, if you want to reach me, you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found out that there's a really cool Google Chrome plugin for Skype that lets you do a ton of very cool stuff. So, for example, talk to us. What can I do? Yeah, so first and foremost, like the, the, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was the fact that once this is integrated, I could, say, be writing you an email and say, hey, give me a call on Skype when you get a chance. And I click the Skype button in my email, and it drops in a link to where if you click it in that email, it'll call me on Skype right away, automatically. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Very interesting. Is there anything else that it can do? Well, some of the other things that it could do, for example, is if you wanted to hold, say, some sort of open office hours or ask me anything, you could do that exact same thing where it creates that link and then drop it into, say, a tweet or a Facebook message uh, or other social networks got, for that matter. Got it. So really, I guess the key to this whole thing is is uh, if you're using Chrome and you happen to be using email inside of your browser, it's just kind of a one-click ability to very quickly create a one-click-to-Skype-me uh, kind of a situation. Is that what I hear you saying? Y- yes, exactly. And it'll even bring it up to where it's contextual to your Skype contacts, like you didn't want, you know, you know, if, if I wanted to say, Hey, send this to Mike, I can choose you as a Skype contact and then add that in as well. Interesting. And to do this over Skype, I'm assuming is not as intuitive. I've never done this. Have you? No, no, not at all. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's hoops and things you've got to jump over as well in the native Skype app. This allows it to be brought over to the web to where it's a couple of clicks and you're done in the web instead of over on Skype itself. Interesting. So really this is just kind of a shortcut to enable someone with one click to Skype communicate with you. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, exactly. Oh, and I should bring up, this also makes it really cool that like, say if you've got a Skype call coming up with someone um, that you're setting a calendar event for, you drop this Skype call link in to that calendar event and then you're right there good to go. You just, that pops up on your calendar. Oh, there's the call, click to call and it calls them. Interesting. 
So it's almost like the good old fashioned click to email kind of stuff that we see on mm-hmm. websites, right? Where it prompts the email open with the email address already pre-populated, except it's specifically for Skype. Exactly. So what is this thing called? It's literally just called Skype. If you type in Skype in the Google Chrome web store, which is chrome.google.com slash web store, and just type in Skype. So Eric, is this just for Chrome? It's for Chrome as well as Firefox. So just you can go and add that on to Firefox. You just go to the Firefox uh, add-ons.mozilla.org. And you should be able to Skype. You, sh- you can Skype for Skype. No, you can search for Skype and you'll find it. Cool. So, folks, uh, again, whether you're using Firefox or Chrome, you can go ahead and add this cool plugin. Eric, thank you so much. You're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Annie Cushing. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. This week, I'm very excited to be joined by Annie Cushing. If you don't know who Annie is, she is a Google Analytics expert and chief data officer at Outspoken Media, a digital marketing agency. She's also a total analytics geek who loves teaching other marketers how to make the most from their analytics data. Annie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. And today, Andy and I are going to dig into what's new with Google Analytics. We're going to talk about um, how to report your social activities, dashboards, and a bunch of other stuff. So, um, Annie, there are some things that are brand new. And I know that there's at least two things we're going to talk about here. So why don't you go ahead and, and take us wherever you want to take us as far as what's new with Google Analytics. So just today, Google announced that um, that you are now going to be able to use remarketing inside Google Analytics and track users across multiple devices. So oh. if someone visits your site on their mobile device and they're logged into Google and then they come back on their laptop and they're logged into Google and they've uh, allowed Google to track them across devices, um, you're going to be able to target them across these different devices, which is a huge, huge uh, step forward for remarketing audiences because we know that none of us uh, stick to one device. We're on our laptops, our desktops, then we switch to our tablets, our phones. Uh, and with Google being pretty ubiquitous now, a lot of people are logged in to Google. So um, so I think you know, from small businesses to large enterprises, uh, remarketing um, uh, experts or people focusing on remarketing could get a lot of value from this. I think this is pretty big because uh, Google themselves said that According to their research, six to 10 uh, people start shopping on one device. So that means 60% start shopping on one device, but finish on a different one. And I'm thinking like, you know, I uh, recently went on uh, a spring on a spring break trip with my family to Florida and I started on my phone looking at the theme parks and then I wasn't going to make that purchase on my phone. I went to my laptop, right? But with this new, and and with the current uh, remarketing stuff in Google, there's no way they would know that it's me, but now they're going to know. And that's really important for marketers, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely important. And they tried to crack the code on tracking across multiple devices with this whole user ID thing. And it really didn't pan out except for really advanced 
analysts who could set this up and for sites where users were highly incentivized to log in. And most of us don't have sites like that. So, uh, the, so to be able to take advantage of users who are logged in to Google is is very groundbreaking. Now, according to what we're both looking at here, this is going to start on May 15th. 2017. And the key to the whole thing is Google Analytics audiences. And maybe you can speak to a sec to us a second, because maybe some of us need to be rethinking about where our audiences are. Maybe you can explain what Google Analytics audiences are, and maybe how they're a little different than what people find inside of AdWords. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the issues I see on a regular basis, like when I'm doing analytics audits and kind of digging around in uh, different clients' analytics accounts, is that very seldom do marketers use Google Analytics for their retargeting. Typically, they're using AdWords and DoubleClick uh, to set up their retargeting audiences. But if you use Google Analytics, to set up your retargeting audiences, you can get much, much more granular in your targeting. So you could say someone who visited this particular product page or this category page, uh, but didn't convert, let's serve them up an ad or someone who put something in a cart but didn't check out. And in fact, that feature actually saved me uh, last Christmas because I you know, had all of my shopping lists for my family and I went through and I, I don't go to the mall until I'm like finished all of my shopping and then it's like a week before Christmas and I'm kind of smug and I can just enjoy all the sights and smells and stuff. But I really do almost all of my shopping online. And so I had checked everything off the list and then the next day I got a retargeting ad letting me know, and I'm just visiting whatever site, and I got this ad letting me know, hey, you have two items in your cart. You know, Do you want to check out? And I clicked through to the ad and thought, oh my gosh, I totally thought I had already bought those. And um, so, I mean, that's how granular you can get, uh, even in terms of like, the time that they've spent on your site and yeah, the number you know, of pages it, they visited. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Right. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. So excellent. Hopefully this will incentivize more people to take advantage of it. Yeah. I mean, this is a big deal. I think Facebook somehow has figured out how to do this because everyone is always logged into Facebook and now Google is doing this. So it should allow us to do a lot more powerful stuff. Now I know yeah. there's something else that's brand new. Why don't you go ahead and explain the other major news item that just came out here recently? Yeah, so just last week, uh, Google announced that they were releasing Google Optimize. Uh, first of all, it's out of beta, and it's going to be free for everyone. So um, so you get a lot of the features that you get in Google Optimize 360. Um, Why don't you, you explain, explain what it is for those that don't know what that means, Google Optimize? Yeah, so Google Optimize uh, allows you to do like A-B testing, so conversion rate optimization. So let's say, for example, you have a product page and you want to toy around with, you know, should I move the, the price button up higher or the buy now or should we, you know, change the color of the font? Should we change the text? You can run two versions of your page vis-a-vis. And I always think of it as like a horse race or a dog race. You know, you can, inside these different optimization tools, see how one version of the page is performing 
um, compared to another version of the page. You know, so um, up until this point, Optimizely has really been kind of the industry standard. Uh, even when I go to CRO conferences, Optimizely is the only player at the table. They're really uh, expensive so- too, right? They are, they are, yes, yeah, we very use, expensive. we use visual website optimizer VWO and it's still pretty expensive. You know, I think we're paying 250 right. bucks a month just to have it. And it sounds like this Google optimize is going to, at least the free version is going to do a lot of what these paid solutions do for nothing. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you are a small to mid-sized business, this is absolutely perfect. And to be honest, I mean, you know, Google has said that, but to be honest, even with large enterprises, uh, a lot of times the, if they're even doing AB testing or multivariate testing, it's very nascent, you know, so even a lot of large businesses will be able to take advantage of this. And what I recommend is, you know, like get the most for your the most bang for your buck with a free version, and then as your you know, organization becomes more addicted to A/B testing and is starting to think in terms of, hey, let's test this page. Let's see if we can get our bounce rate down. Let's see if we could get our conversion rate up. Um, then you can always consider going for more features. But you know, I think for most sites across the board, they would be able to get a lot of value from Google Optimize just from the free version, kind of like Google Analytics. Yeah, know, and just yeah, and just for people that are like, what are these guys talking about? Um, I want to try to explain this in the most simplistic of terms. These tools are very simple to use. They're visual. You can take a page and you can say, okay. Uh, we're going to take the existing page that's going to be the control, and then we're going to make a uh, test version of it, and we're just going to change the headline on the page. And then these tools will dynamically serve up randomly, if you will, um, to visitors to that page these different iterations, and then they will statistically calculate you know, which one of these alterations leads to higher conversions, and they literally are that simple to use. So it's the kind of stuff that that you really should be doing, but there's never been an easy way to do it until tools like this came around. So Google optimize, I have an account. I've not yet tried it, but, um, I know that those that do use it, love it. So I'm super excited to hear that it's now available and it's out of beta. It's been in beta forever and it is, um, it is free and they do have the 360 version, which is probably more enterprise, right? Yes. Yes. And another point, uh, if people didn't pick it up, and what you were saying is that you don't have to pass on your request for changes to your developer. You right. can actually go in and using drag and drop functionality, um, just move things around, change the colors, those types of things, and do a lot. So uh, Google Optimize kind of turns your page into almost like building blocks that you can just click, drag uh, wherever you want them. Okay, so those are the two new things. We're going to dig into analytics now. Um, One of the first questions I've always wanted to find out, and I'm so glad I have you to help answer this question, is we've been hearing so much about ad blocking technology and... um, and, 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 and sometimes do not track technology. And I, I think they might be different, but one of the questions that comes to my mind is do ad blockers, um, mean that our Google analytics are under reporting traffic to our website. And if they don't, what about these do not track tools that people are using for privacy? Can you go ahead and help us understand that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a little bit of a differentiation. Like if you're running AdWords, 
uh, and you're doing you know you like you're doing display ads something like that then your overall effectiveness is going to absolutely be impacted by ad blockers you know, because people aren't seeing what you're putting out there. There's going to be a, a decrease in impressions um, and conversions and those types of things as, as more people choose to block their ads. I mean, a lot of publishers are kind of pushing back on this. And now, you know, as you go, especially to a lot of the tech publishers, um, they're saying, hey, we noticed you have an ad blocker on. We're not even going to show you the content of the site unless you turn it off for our site. We promise we're not going to spam you with ads and stuff. So, um, so they're pushing back a little bit. However, that doesn't impact your Google Analytics data per se. So it's not like you're going to get less data because people that's have not being, That's not being blocked by ad blockers is what you're saying. Right, right, exactly. Now, the other side of that is the do not track blockers. That is going to impact uh, your Google Analytics data. And especially now, you know, with some of the um, some of the kind of highly combustible legislation that's coming down the pike, you know, with Trump signing the legislation just this week that killed the privacy rules that would have required, you know, internet service providers to get your consent before they sell your data. Uh, more people are opting for uh, for these types of blockers. These do not track tools specifically. In fact, uh, just last week. Uh, before this even came down the pike, I was watching uh, HLN, and they actually recommended that people use do not track tools. So I was like, well, this is relevant because Michael and I had just talked about it the day before. Um, so I think more people are just thinking in terms of privacy. They're a lot more concerned about it. And I think they're just going to start kind of throwing does that mean things. It, does that mean that none of that data would show up in our Google Analytics or would it just be anonymized? Do you, or, or is I mean, I, I think it means it's literally just not going to show up in our analytics data. Is that correct? Yeah, it just doesn't show up. Because like, the, script, they, the script never fires basically, right? Right. It's just, yeah, it's just blocked. So the data doesn't get. So there's a good chance we are underreporting our data, but not because of ad blockers, more because of these do, right. not, do not track tools. But do you yeah. think that's a... Do you think our data is underreported substantially or do you think it's just a couple of percentage points? Do you have any assessment of, of that at all? Yes. Yeah, so the best estimates are that it really depends on your target audience. So my target audience tends to be very tech savvy, you know, marketers, analysts, people like that. So my site is probably experiencing a much higher level of underreporting than say, a vacation destination site or, you know, a, a site for older visitors or, you know, even millennials, um, just people who aren't as concerned about their privacy or wouldn't necessarily know. Because there are people who probably watched the same news episode that I did. And the whole point about, you know, do not track browser tools probably just went over their head. Like they probably just had no idea what they were talking about. And, you know, like a few seconds were devoted to it. So it, it really, really depends. Got it. Okay. So um, let's transition over to talking about the kinds of social data or reporting that we can get out of Google Analytics. Um, where do you want to take us and what can we do with Google Analytics when it comes to understanding um, maybe the traffic or, or, 
sources of traffic or anything related to social when it comes to Google Analytics? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Uh, I actually did an entire post and walkthrough of and an, an analysis of the social reports in Google Analytics. And my final conclusion was that the best social report in GA uh, isn't even in that whole area of social reports. The best social report is actually the channels report, uh, which you would get to by going to all traffic and then channels. Uh, this just is, out of curiosity, under which category is this under? Oh, I'm sorry. This is under acquisition. Okay. So we go so, acquisition, all traffic, all traffic, and then channels. Okay. Yes. And this is hands down my most favorite report inside Google Analytics. If you don't look at any other report in Google Analytics, in my opinion, this is the most important one to look at. But what this does is you'll see if you look at that report, there's a social line item on there. And the way that Google Analytics gets that is that it takes all of the social referrals and pulls them out of and differentiates them from non-social referrals. So like if you went to the referrals report, which is also under all traffic, it includes social and non-social referrals, which I'm not really a fan of. The channels report separates them because your referral traffic and your social traffic really behave quite differently. Social traffic tends to be a lot more ADD. Like they're on Facebook. They're enjoying their time on Facebook. They're not into your site unless you have like cat pictures or you know funny videos or something like that. So a lot of times what they'll do is they'll go to the site, they'll bookmark it if it's something they really want to check out later or they'll leave the tab open and then they'll go back to Facebook or Twitter or you know wherever they were. So that traffic tends to have a much higher bounce rate and things like that, which just measures people who come, they look at one page and then they leave. So the, but one thing I really, really like about this report is if you click on that social line item, you'll actually drill down to an absolutely awesome social report. So there are a few reasons I really love this report. One, it pulls together or aggregates the data by social network. So if you were to look in say like the source medium report or even the referrals report, Facebook is especially problematic because a lot of times what users will do is they'll see the first line item for Facebook and they'll think that's their Facebook traffic and that's what they'll report on. But Facebook can show up as a total of, I have found out in the wild, 11 different sources. Yeah, there's mobile, there's all these yeah. different ones. Yeah, exactly. There's like l.facebook.com, lm.facebook.com, m.facebook.com, partners. So I this, mean, just this groups them all together, huh? This yeah, so this groups them all together into just the Facebook social network. The other nice thing is if you're tagging links, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, uh, like using campaign tagging, UTM parameters, however people think of them. And then it also pulls in your tag traffic. So if you're tagging the source as Facebook or Facebook.com, Google recognizes, oh, that belongs in this line item, which ah. is really fantastic. Okay, so, so so this is an important distinction because some people do not tag, uh, they do not use the the medium 
you know, like we use, right. we use a different medium. We call it Facebook page. So in our case, our social traffic under our, um, under this channel category that says social is just the organic traffic that we don't have any control over. And all the other traffic, I guess, is going to be found under other or direct. Is that right? Is that where the UT- yeah. UTMs typically show up? Is it other? Yeah, in the other bucket, which I call Google's junk drawer. So uh, that's a really important distinction. Like if you're using campaign tagging and if you don't know what campaign tagging is, you could just Google campaign tagging. I published a really comprehensive guide on campaign tagging. It has a video that takes you by the hand, walks you through it. I uh, also created a Google sheet that will help you. It'll automatically create your tagged links for you and gives you some guidance and stuff like that because this is a kind of a more difficult thing for people to wrap their mind around. Uh, But the most important parameter, so the parameter is like that UTM underscore source or UTM underscore medium. The most important one to get right is the medium. So there's Google has like a set list of mediums that it says, okay, we recognize these mediums. If you use any medium that's not on that list and it has to be uh, lowercase, which is really, really silly, but if you use a capital S on social or capital E on email, that data also goes to the other bucket, which is like the land of misfit toys. You know, I gotta tell a little story here. Uh, we started tracking over two years ago using these UTM parameters and uh, immediately we started freaking out because all of a sudden our social traffic fell like a rock and we're like, what have we done? And then finally we realized we were using uh, labels that were custom for us so that we knew it was from us and they were just getting recategorized in another little bucket, if you will. So, so now right. what my team does is they go ahead and they look at everything that is in the social category that we've been talking about as kind of the stuff that is natural organic traffic. And then they add all the stuff that we do together to look at the total picture, which is an important, obvious distinction that we're talking about here. Yeah, so you guys are kind of the anomaly because most people never look inside that other bucket. They don't know what it is. I did an audit about six months ago where their other bucket was their second highest uh, traffic generator and they never looked at it because they didn't know yeah, what it's a it weird, was. It's a weird name. They should label it something like uh, UTM parameters or something. You know? Right. I mean, people just don't, you know, like if you don't know what you don't know, you don't know to check it, you know? And so, and there should be some kind of flag, like, you know, like, Hey, just so that you know, this is where good data goes to die. You know, like you don't want your data in the other bucket. So there, there actually is, an alternative, like if you wanted to continue to use a customized medium, if you if you mess up source or you mess up campaign name, those don't matter. Really, medium is the, I mean, they matter. They definitely matter. You want to have an optimized tagging strategy, but medium is definitely the most important one to get right. If you do want to use a custom medium, then you can create custom channels or customize your social channel to say, hey, you know what? Uh, also, look for any medium that contains um, whatever you've used as your custom medium. And if you see traffic that comes in with that medium, also put that in the social bucket so that you will still have all of your social data in one place. And then you could drill down and 
you know, differentiate between your tagged and untagged. A lot of times I'll go through, um, like when I'm doing an audit, I'll go through and just like kind of dummy proof the channels and make them at minimum so that they're not case sensitive. And then I'll also do things like in their social channel, I'll say, Hey, you know what? It's almost, it's, it's almost like a little, uh, surreptitious. Like, you know, I also, because a lot of people tag the medium as Twitter or Facebook when really that should be the source, not the medium. But if you see a medium set to Twitter or Facebook, go ahead and also put that in the social bucket. And that will only impact your traffic from that day moving forward. So Andy, here's the question. What do we, let's assume that, um, for the sake of this dialogue, that our social traffic is all under the social, you know, uh, category inside of, uh, channels. What are we supposed to be looking for in here? Uh, there's a lot of data that's provided like sessions and bounce rate and conversions and stuff, but is there anything in particular that we ought to keep our eye on as social media marketers? Yeah, absolutely. So the, Three metrics, well, no, I'll say four metrics that, in my opinion, are most important. I rarely look at percent new sessions or new users. I'm not really a fan of user-based data. Anyway, I wrote a whole blog post on that. Very opinionated, but it's a very outdated concept. It really uh, operates under the assumption that you're using the same device, and not even just the same device, the same browser in the same device. Um, So if you switch devices, you're a new user. But that said, uh, sessions, absolutely. And I always put sessions first so that, you know, I can kind of sort by sessions. Um, And then bounce rate, because that's important to see, especially if you're running like paid social or, you know, like social ads or something like that, you really want to make sure those bounce rates uh, stay pretty low. Just keep in mind, Social traffic, as I said, does tend to have a pretty high bounce rate. Uh, but a lot of times that's how you build your branding and then they come back and then they start throwing money at you because they liked what they saw on social. And by uh, the way, just to describe what a bounce rate is, it just means that they only visited that one page and then they left. So any, just so everybody understands that, right? So Right. Yeah, but keep, yeah. And by the way, you may notice when you look at certain sources, like I'm looking right now, and that one with the highest bounce rate is StumbleUpon with 96%. And that makes sense, right? Because it's random. Oh, yeah. And, right. and one of the ones with the lower bounce rates is LinkedIn, you know? So um, it's interesting for us, at least. It's going to be different. For, and Reddit is actually pretty low as well. So, you know, I think it just depends. Um, I think you could use that data if you have a low bounce rate. On a social platform, that might mean that those people coming from that platform find your stuff interesting enough that they're clicking around your site, and maybe Absolutely. maybe you could use that as a as um, uh, as as evidence as to why you might want to do more on that channel, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Like for me, I'm looking at a report right now from my analytics account, which is what I blog from, and uh, it started as a joke on Twitter and became a brand, but. Like my bounce rate for Facebook for the time period I'm looking at is 79%. My bounce rate for LinkedIn is 52%. And for Twitter, which is where my main audience is, is 42%. So I could look at that and say, huh, if I'm deciding which social network would be the best for me to advertise on, it's a no brainer. It would be LinkedIn and Twitter. And most likely I'd get the most bang for my buck from Twitter because that's where my strongest audience is. And when people are on Facebook, they don't want to be, they're not thinking about Google analytics. They're not thinking about data. 
they're thinking about, you know, like whatever they're trying to escape from, you know? And, um, and so, you know, so it just kind of makes sense. And I have tried advertising on Facebook and it wasn't effective. Um, so, so yeah, there, there's a lot of good data in that bounce rate, but then also I really like the pages per session and I like that over average session duration uh, because, and this used to be called time on site. Uh, Googlers love to change the, the naming conventions inside Google Analytics. Uh, but the reason I like pages per session better is that it's much more precise. So with average session duration, uh, if someone comes and they only look at one page and then they bounce, like they leave your site, even if they spend 20 minutes on that page. So like with my uh, campaign tagging guide, people spend a lot of time on that page. There's a lot of information, there's a video, et cetera, et cetera. But if they don't look at any other pages on my site, it's going to show as an average session duration of zero, unless I set up some customized events or something like that. But that's outside the scope of this. But pages per session is very precise. It's how many pages did they actually look in a particular session. And when I look at my pages per session, for example, from Twitter, it's much higher than any of the other social networks. Very cool. <laughs> Excellent. And by the way, one little thing to keep in mind is that if you are a media company like Social Media Examiner, you're going to have a higher bounce rate because people are coming to read articles maybe on a daily basis because they're getting that email to you and then they're going to leave. But if you're if you're a small business and you want them to start on a page and click around and ultimately fill out a form, then you hope to have a lower bounce rate, right? Yes. Because yeah. it just depends what your business objective is. Or if you have a sales page that's only got one purpose, you're going to have a super high bounce rate because there's nowhere else for them to go right and right. that's important to keep in mind that that's not always a critical metric yeah yeah absolutely I mean blogs typically have very high bounce rates and I really do kind of have like a sliding scale like for me if there's any traffic that I pay for like my threshold for a bounce rate really really drops especially like AdWords I'll go in you know when I'm auditing an account and I'll see an AdWords campaign that has like a 79% bounce rate. And I really throw the red flag down on that because I'm like, you are an AdWords. You control everything. You control the landing page. You control the keywords that you go after and, and stuff. And so, you know, some of the knobs need to be tightened on that campaign if you have high bounce rates on paid campaigns. I want to I want to talk about um, custom briefly talking about things we can do to customize our Google Analytics, and then I want to get into dashboards because I think this is some real exciting stuff. Um, out of the box, obviously, Google Analytics is like flying an airplane. There's a bazillion buttons, and you can do a lot with it. But I know you advocate for customizing a few things here and there. So, what can we do exactly when it comes to customizing our Google Analytics? Yeah, so the three top custom customizations that I recommend are. First of all, custom channels. So we talked a little bit about like customizing your channels if you know something is kind of like if you're using a custom medium or something like that. But you also want to set up custom channels for things that Google doesn't recognize as a channel. And there are some, in my opinion, missing channels in Google Analytics. Like for example, if you're running retargeting campaigns, my opinion is that you should have 
a custom retargeting channel because oh. by default it's going to be uh, grouped in with display, but retargeting uh, traffic and visitors behave very, very differently from display. Display is kind of, you know, spray and pray. Uh, retargeting is obviously you are really targeted, you know, so if your retargeting is effective, then you should have much higher. How do we actually create a custom uh, channel grouping or whatever you call it? Yes. So if you go to the campaign tagging guide, uh, in the first paragraph, I link to kind of a, a sister guide that I created specifically for channels. It's just all about channels, how to fix your channels, how to create custom channels, even we'll link to that. We'll link to that in the show notes, folks. So uh, Annie will give me the link when we're done here at the interview and we'll be sure to link to that. So you have a good detailed tutorial on how to do this is what I hear you saying. And does it show up under the channel groupings? It Uh, does. Awesome. Awesome. And can like, if we have a newsletter, for example, can we create a channel grouping just for the newsletter if we wanted to? Yep. Oh, that yep, is so absolutely. cool. So I have custom channels no one else would probably have or very few yeah, sites. Yeah, talk about some examples of what we can do with this. Okay, yeah, exactly. So like for my site, so I have kind of this, it's, it's almost my catcher in the rye to create Google Sheets for marketers. Like I have a Google Sheet for like hundreds of tools for marketers and you know, it's just tons of information broken down into different tabs, like different tools that you can use if it's paid or free or freemium. And they're actually broken down by the tasks that marketers commonly have to do. And then here's the tool that you would use. And, and then, you know, I have this campaign tagging guide. I have an event tracking guide. So I just create these guides and I publish them on Google Sheets. And initially when I set them up, you know, I, I was kind of a Pollyanna about it. I was like, here you go, marketer. You can use these tools. I use them for myself anyway. I even have a free site audit uh, uh, template out there. And, um, and so I was just linking back to my site, but then that was just showing up as coming from google.com in referral. Like there's no additional information. Like, is this from, you know, from Google docs? Is it from Google maps? There's, there's no differentiation whatsoever. So, um, so I attach campaign parameters to those links and I just set the medium to GDoc. And then inside Google Analytics, I said, okay, so if any traffic comes in with a medium of GDoc, funnel that traffic into my Google Docs channel. And then I can track conversions and stuff. Also, I have like templates that... That is killer. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing. Like I'm, I'm already thinking right now. So for example, we track all of the organic stuff that we post on every social platform using these UT, custom UTM parameters, but they all kind of get grouped into this, you know, um, right. other thing. So if I wanted just kind of them to be defaulted into their own custom channel, maybe called the social team, I could do that is what I hear you yep. saying. And then I can look at it at the macro level and then zoom in. That is killer. Exactly. Exactly. So like I also create uh, templates. Well, those are word files and I have, probably 50 to 100 links back to my site, like to, to, to 
you know, for tutorials and things like that. Well, all of that traffic would show up as direct if I didn't tag those links. So I just set the medium to template and then I created a custom channel. I said, hey, anything that comes in with a medium of template, go ahead and drop it in my templates folder. And wow. then I can see like upsells. I can see people who bought my site audit template then came back to buy my analytics audit template. Because in the campaign name, it, it, it's specific to that particular wow. template, you know? Wow. And so, uh, but like for publishers, if I ever audit a publisher's account, uh, one of the first things I ask them is, do you have syndication agreements with other sites? And if they do, then I set up a partner channel for them. So if they have syndication agreements with like Huffington Post or BuzzFeed or, you know, any of these other sites, Yahoo, then I'll set up a custom partner channel that only those sources go into because they're the creme de la creme for their traffic. Yeah. One last example is if you have other sites that are within your network. So let's say you're like, I have a chiropractor client and they have, I think four different sites or specialty sites. And so I created a sister sites channel for them. That's what they wanted to call it. Uh, where, if any traffic comes from one of their sites, then that traffic shows up in their sister sites channel. So it's kind of teased out from the referrals channel because the referrals channel has quite a bit of junk in the trunk. So awesome. Okay. Last question. Okay. Dashboard tools. Um, first of all, talk about at a high level, what the heck these tools do that goes beyond Google analytics and then mention a couple of the ones that you might recommend people check out. Yeah. So the beauty of dashboard tools is that typically what marketers do and site owners, they go into all of these different tools. So you go into Google Analytics, you have a few well-worn paths. You look at this report and you might look at another report. You might have, you know, even three or four reports you look at if you're really getting crazy. Uh, but then you... If you're active on Facebook, then you're logging into Facebook and you're going to Facebook Insights and you're looking at those reports and, and so on and so forth. If you're running AdWords campaigns, if you are, you know, um, let's say you're using Twitter, uh, let's just say Twitter analytics, yeah, Twitter or an email you know, client or whatever, you know, you're logging into each of these individual sites to go in and get your data and then typically exporting to CSV and then pulling it all together in Excel or Sheets or something like that. The beauty of dashboard tools is that they will automatically, like you, for most of them, you just log in to your particular account. So you log into your Google Analytics account. You log into your Google Search Console account. It used to be called Webmaster Tools. Again, they just love to rename stuff. Uh, you log in to your Facebook Insights. You log into all these different tools that you're getting data from. And then you just pull, the these dashboard tools will pull that data into one place so that you could look at your Google Analytics data in the same dashboard or in the same tool. Like Can maybe, they connect them together too somehow? I mean, I don't know if there's a way. Yes. Really interesting. Yeah. So. so the more advanced tools allow you to actually marry the data. So I do that in Tableau. Um, so that's more of an enterprise level tool, but I'll pull data from Google Analytics, Search Console, 
And even you could, you know, marry up data from social. I mean, you have to be careful that the dashboard makes sense to the average user, you know. Um, But but it's really nice just to be able to see how this data works in concert. So where you really see the beauty is, let's say you send out an email campaign and you see a big spike in your email channel and Google Analytics because of course you're pulling the channels report into your dashboard tool. Uh, So you see a big spike, but then you also see from Salesforce that there was also a spike in leads or from, you know, from whatever you're using, uh, a constant contact or, you know, whatever you're using for your emails, um, you know, maybe an increase in people who have signed up for your newsletter or something like that. You can see it all in one universe. So, and and there are tools as simple and inexpensive as Scythe. Now, I get, have so I, let, yeah, let's let's spell these out. So Scythe yeah. is C Y F E, and Tableau is T A B L E A U. So kind of help us understand, like, what's the price variance between something like Scythe all the way to Tableau? Yeah. So Scythe. I believe it's like 20 or $25 a month. It's super inexpensive and it's very, very easy to use. It is a really ideal solution for small businesses or social like media marketers. Individual. Yeah, absolutely. Like if I were just focusing on social, uh, I would be using Scythe because it's just so dead simple and much simpler than, in my opinion, than any other tool that I've used. And it connects to, I don't know, I think it's like somewhere between, I don't know, I don't want to exaggerate. I haven't looked at Dozens it for a while, but I would things. say probably around 60 different tools. Cool. And the integration is, in my opinion, the easiest of all the tools, at least of the tools that I've worked with. So some of them will say, we have native integration with Search Console, but then they're like, okay, we'll just drop your what about you know, Tableau? API what, what are we talking? Yeah, what are we talking about with Tableau? I mean, how much are we talking for something like that? So Tableau, you're looking at the. Mm, let's see. I think the personal license. I, I don't remember. Are we talking about? I, I think it's around like a thousand dollars, something like, like that, like a month. For, uh, no, no, it's a. It's a, a year, I think. Um, it's been a while since I signed up for it. Got it. But it's you know it's definitely on the pricier end. The really nice thing is that you can just use Tableau Desktop. Where it gets really really expensive is if you're using Tableau online, and if you're using Google Sheets. And I don't want to get too in the weeds with this, but if you're using Google Sheets, and this is the same for Data Studio, if you're Using Google Sheets and pulling your data into Google Sheets, then you can save expense uh, from Tableau. Yeah, I've got the pricing. So here it is. As of this recording, it's $1,000 for six data sources, and then it's $2,000 for up to 44 data sources. So I guess in summary, if you are a person where your job forces you to use all sorts of different um, solutions, to pull data together, maybe having a, um, a tool like Scythe or Tableau could help make your job easier and justify, you know, maybe this kind of expense with the amount of time that you're going to save is what I hear you saying, right? 
Right, right, exactly. If you're looking for something with a really flat learning curve, Scythe is the tool to use. And even more experienced uh, users can get much more customization out of it. Um, but it's just a f fabulous tool. I think is the easiest to work with. Uh, as an analyst and working with lots of different clients, I need much more power. So I need Tableau. Um, but for a lot of users, um, awesome. especially focusing on social, Scythe is the way to go. Well, Annie, you mentioned uh, that you have a blog where you do write regularly about all this crazy analytics stuff. Yeah. Why don't you tell people where they can find that and find out more about you? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the corporate site is outspokenmedia.com. That's where I'm the chief data officer. Uh, my blog is analytics.com. So we just combined Annie and analytics. Uh, and what I do there is kind of take some of these more complicated concepts and try to put them in very simple terms. I, I use memes. It gets a little ridiculous, um, but... Uh, but I really try to focus on simplifying it as much as possible. And I also call out things that I think are a little off for the purpose of letting visitors know, hey, here's something that you need to be aware of. Because if you don't know about this bug or you don't know about this little nuance, you could possibly miss out on credit that you, you should be getting. Annie Cushing, Google Analytics extraordinaire. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all your awesome wisdom and insight with us. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Well, I know we went a little long in this episode, but I hope you found a lot of value. Thank you for sticking it out. Uh, we mentioned lots of tools and resources and links, and you can get them all at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 248, which stands for episode 248. Can you believe we're coming up on 250? Never miss a future episode of this podcast. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I promise. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.